You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. So Psalm 30, this is the last week in our Summer of the Psalms series, uh, something that our church has done annually. And I confess that this is something that I now experience with a certain amount of mundane reluctance. Even in my own heart, I say, Psalms, yeah, they're good, but they're, they're kind of all the same. And, and I'm not saying that I, I know they're all the same and that I, I know that, they're, oh, they're no good. I'm just telling you that the, the attitude that I have when, when it's Psalm after Psalm after Psalm can tend to be, they're good, but where's the meat? Where's the theological understanding? Give me Romans, give me... Timothy, give, give me understanding of what I'm supposed to do, right? And, and give me something that I can kind of dissect and that I can hear some compelling sermon on. Um, and if you're like me and you feel that, it exposes something that is not good. It's that I want things right here. And even as I preach, I want to explain everything about the text right here. And I'm safe there. I don't want to feel anything. Get the feels away from me, all right? I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to do. Stay away from my chest. And it's with this belief and it's with this reluctance that I am going through the Psalms as a personal devotional. And I found one that hit me square in the chest. Knocked me down. Hit me where it hurts. And brought me to a tough spot. Frankly, guys, it brought me to tears. So Psalm 30... We're going to read this today with the understanding uh, that God speaks to us through suffering and joy. Let's just read through this together. A Psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought my soul up from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, You made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust then praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, be merciful to me. O Lord, my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. As we read through this, uh, there's something really, really simple that it speaks uh, in somewhat of a complex structure, but the, the thought is this. God restores us struggles and pain so that we may more fully and joyfully praise him. He restores things that are broken so that at the end of the day, he is the one that gets praise and is to the fulfillment of our joy that he does this. He heals and restores, whether it's sin that's caused by ourselves or others uh, so that we can more purely experience him. This psalm was written by a man who had lost every single bit of hope. He's at the, he's at the end of his rope. It's King David, and so you wouldn't, You wouldn't think that he'd have to be in a position to where he would cry out to the Lord for help, but that's just how God works, isn't it? He takes the kingly and the royal and he brings them low so that he can get glory for this. Uh, He found that he needed rescue from the Lord and what he found at the end of praising the Lord was pure joy. Uh, This is a psalm with a graphic, I would say it's a graphic praise. Why I say that is because it's kind of all over the place. If you look at the structure of it, it's very complex. Some psalms are uh, just praise. Some psalms are just lament. Some psalms are thanksgiving. Some psalms are wisdom-based. This one is kind of this up-down structure here. If you can see this here, it's, it's praise, proclamation, 
reflection, and then he just turns inward, and, he's, and he starts reflecting on things, and he reflects so deep that he needs to plead. And then somehow, all of that, that whole loop brought him back to praise. This guy is on a roller coaster. His emotions are all over the place. And that put him into a posture of worship that opened up his heart. And this is not something that we are foreign to. In cinema, uh, directors will use this, this thought, this, this up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, in order to grab our attentions and open us up. And I think that comes from a good place. But to take, for example, Pixar's child's movie, Up. So we take a look at this, and here it is, uh, the couple. The intro scene in the first four minutes is these two. They're actually young. Uh, they're kids, and they're playing together. And it's that thought that you have there. You're like, I bet they're going to end up together. Yeah, look at the way they're playing together. And there you go. And it starts with joy. And they get married, and they're newlyweds, and everything's great. And they're just talking about the stars and the sky and the clouds, and they're interpreting everything. And your heart starts to warm with hope because they're just married and now they've got some joy on the way. And then sorrow hits. Deep, deep sorrow. And you start to brought low by the brokenness even in this intro scene of a movie. But it kind of starts bringing you back up again. You know, they look into each other's eyes, they, they come together again, and they have these new dreams and these new ambitions. Uh, but then those ambitions kind of come back down again. And so you, you're starting to feel this up, down, up, down. And that's not why the, the movie is named what it is. Uh, but their, their hope is that they're going to finally make it to this, this mountain, uh, this, this land that they've got. And because of these things that keep happening to them, they just keep being disappointed. But thankfully, they love each other. And they grow old together. And there's this, there's this heartwarming thing that even though they didn't get what they wanted, they still love each other deeply. And that committed love is something just that warms our heart. And so at this point in the movie, the directors have you exactly where they want you. They have you going up, then down. And now you're back up and you're watching them wash windows together as 80-year-olds, and it's adorable. And he even loves his wife so much, he just gets this thought and he says, we're gonna go to, I don't even remember what it's called, Paradise Falls. Paradise Falls, that's it. We're going to go to Paradise Falls and I'm going to buy some tickets and I'm going to surprise her on the top of a hill with the tickets of the things that we, the place we wanted to go to. But by that point, it's too late. She's too old to even make it up this hill. She's hurt. And she's sick. And there's this deathbed scene where they finally embrace each other to the point where you have been brought so low this poor, this poor guy's got a balloon. Come on, that's not even fair, guys. But you can understand that like, it, it is in the ups and downs uh, that our hearts are brought raw. It is in the lows that if it was just them happily ever after, you wouldn't care and you wouldn't be engaged. And so the Psalm of David is actually no different. Uh, the reason that this gets to us is because it's real because it's raw, because these things actually happen in life, and we can relate to it. And so Psalm 30 is very similar, except it has hope at the end. <laughs> this is just making you understand that this is the precipice of the movie. Uh, but you're getting a pure view of David's emotions. Up, down, up, down, they're all over the place. And yet, even with the ups and the downs, it's recorded as one of the models of praise. It's a psalm. This would have been the hymn book. This would have been the mood at which we sat and sang here this morning. This would have been a hymn that we would have sang in this time. So there's something about the depth and complexity of human emotion that glorifies God. So it's important to note uh, what King David was being saved from here. Uh, this context actually gives us, again, let's, let's just say a little bit of a down so we know where he's coming up from. Uh, some, co some commentators would, would say that he had attributed uh, his pain and suffering and his rescue from an illness uh, because it says healing. Uh, it's not likely that it's that. It's much more likely that the suffering he was experiencing was his son trying to kill him. 
his very own family trying to take his head off. Uh, It's very likely that his son had won over key members of David's close circles to gain access, to gain an upper hand so they could infiltrate his kingdom, take it over, and of course, trying to kill him. So this guy's got some big problems, right? His son's trying to kill him. He's won and manipulated some of his friends and closest, most loyal followers to join the cause. Talk about rock bottom. But Psalm 31 says this, uh, I have become a reproach to my neighbors, an object of dread to my acquaintances. This is the bottom, this is the bottom for him. This is, this is this fella that we just saw. This is what brought him to this place. This is hell. It's Sheol. But what we're going to find in the psalm is that moments of desperation and desperate pain can lead to the fullest experience of joy. It's in the context of the suffering that he experiences deep satisfaction and joy. It's what I would call the launch pad of his praise. And so I have a question for, for Connection Church. Where do we look for joy in suffering? Where do you look for joy in suffering? Whether it's hope that has been lost, ambitions that were smashed, or whether your family's out to get you, whether your friends have abandoned you. When everything falls apart, where do you look for joy in suffering? When it's out of your hands, where does Connection Church look for joy? What, what does this psalm have to say about us right now? The psalms are actually written in a broad sense. They're actually written with an open-ended verbs and vocabulary so that you actually can insert your praise to the Lord. And we can't say that's true of every book of the Bible. Well, this is the problem that's going on. Well, well that's me. This, me. this is speaking to me. But these were written as a hymn book, and you're supposed to pray and identify with what's going on inside of it. And so, Connection Church, where do you look for joy? When we pray, where is Afghanistan going to look for joy right now in suffering? How do we encourage other people who are in suffering amidst this? Uh, How is God shaping us amidst this? What's he doing amidst this? And what is the result of our suffering? What, why is he even doing this? So those are some questions that I think the psalm is actually going to answer today. Uh, As we look through, there's a couple sections here. Uh, It's broken down into verses 1 through 3, 4 through 5, and then it goes through 6 through 8. And then it kind of breaks down, yeah, it's actually 8 through 10 and 10 through 12. What you got to know is this is the flow right here. I'm going to go back to it real quick. Praise, proclamation, reflection, pleading, and praise again. This is kind of the structure that he goes. And so as we look into this, Well, let's look at verses one through three. I will extol you, Lord, for you have drawn me up. You have drawn me up. He is focusing his praise on the Lord. The first thing he does is committing a pledge of praise to who? Now, we're getting a little bit of a fast forward with this. We're getting his finished product. This is not in his desperation. This is the praise of his desperation. This is after he's been saved from it. He's been lifted. His suffering's been cured. And so what we can see is that in fullness of joy, you and me and David give God the glory and that's primarily it. The focus, the credit is committed directly to him and there's something in that that was worth praising. There was something that lit him up because he brought it to the Lord. And what does he commit to? He doesn't commit, he's not writing a thesis here or a book that's going to be helpful to us in understanding our feelings and emotions practically, right? Uh, He's not saying, God, oh God, I'll not do that again. I'm not going to do it again. God, I am not going to make those decisions ever again. God, I'm not going to trust those people in my kingdom ever again. I'm not going to trust my son ever again. And thank you, for making me aware that my son was really evil. There are psalms where he pretty much rips into his friends and family and holds a curse upon them because he's so busted and broken up. But not this psalm. This is a psalm of praise. And he's primarily focused on the Lord. The only one who could have saved him from his mess 
in the first place. And the finished product is the thing that we can take a hold of first and foremost. He made the object of his praise something sustainable that could actually hold the weight of his joy. This is a silly example. Uh, I used to praise Randy Moss. Yeah, Vikings fans are like, yeah, me too, but we don't say it out loud, especially on a stage for sure. No, no, no. Randy Moss, when I was growing up, this was the most entertaining figure in my entire life because the guy, whoever the quarterback was at the time, would throw the football and Randy Moss could like catch it over a guy's forehead and he could catch it like he would just do silly things and he would catch the football. And as I'm saying that, you're like, that's so silly. You're right. (laughs) You're right. Uh, Randy Moss, he did some inappropriate things and then my praise was all over. My mom says, Andy, we're not going to watch Randy Moss anymore. (laughs) He's a fool. So it's, it's easy in times of suffering to go to Randy Moss. It's easy to go to the NFL. It's easy to go to things and praise things that our heart can't sustainably take joy in because at the end of the day, he's going to do something obscene and it's going to let us down. Insert whatever thing that is for you that's really, really easy to go to, your happy place. I'm not saying that the NFL is a bad thing. I'm not saying that whatever it is that you enjoy doing is a bad thing. It's just not sustainably going to hold the source of joy that you think it is. And so David clings to the Lord first and foremost, and his heart sings as a result. It sings. He's found it. He's found the source that he can go to. The joy that he has is not built on his bootstraps, of making himself better. He's going to try really hard. It was not in his friends, his family. Those are the people trying to kill him. So they're not the ones that he's going to hope in. Uh, He was not saved by his leader, his pastor. Uh, He had a prophet named Nathan that actually said some really hard things to him that were really, really good. But he didn't go. He's not praising Nathan here. He's praising the Lord. And so where do we look for suffering? As Connection Church, I implore you to the only one who can save us from what is really, really painful. We go to the Lord. True restoration and healing comes from the merciful hand of our loving Father. And when that happens, when you found true joy and praise and happiness in the most sustainable thing in the universe— When that happens, it stirs a gratitude and affection for the Lord, but it also is contagious. Do you see what he's doing here in verses 4 and 5? Sing praises to the Lord, ye saints. He's turning his, his affections outward. He's reminding them of what's true. So how do we encourage each other amidst of this? In times of suffering, Christians we would do well to remind each other of the marvelous reality that is ours in Christ. We go outwards. We go outwards with this, and that's what this is meaning. That's what verse 5 means. His anger is for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. Sometimes that doesn't seem like it's true. But friend, in Christ we've been given a lifetime of favor, not 80 years of painless pressure, not an eternity of pain, an eternity of pure joy. That's what we have waiting for us. We've been given a taste of heavenly joy that is ours for eternity. And that changes us in the way we approach suffering. And it gives us what Paul describes as an invincible patience. When we know that we have an eternity ahead of us because of Christ and it's coming, that's when we know that his favor lasts forever. And that's what gives us the patience to handle the things that are going on right now. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4.17, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. There is no comparison. What he's talking about is a patience that that gives us that only the Holy Spirit can give. I'm able to muscle my way to not say rude things when I'm in trouble, when I'm hurting. I can hold back for only so long, but eventually what happens? It comes out. What Paul's describing is a patience that is invincible. 
And you have access to that as a believer in the Holy Spirit through Christ who has done something for us that is gonna last for an eternity. And so even something as gut-wrenching right now as Afghanistan, even with believers, whether or not you believe the stories of this, this, or that, all you have to know is that around the world, let's take that for an example, but let's just take the world, there are people who are suffering. There are brothers and sisters who are suffering. And there is hope for brothers and sisters there and around the world in the risen Christ. Let's be a people that praise and pray that they remind themselves of that, that the Holy Spirit would remind them of that. And that would be the thing that would carry their witness and their mission across the globe. It says this, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. It's not like every morning you're gonna wake up and all your problems are gonna be better. Rather, because of Christ, we know with certainty that joy is coming as sure as the sun rises in the morning. It's going to happen because of eternity, because of what Christ has done. This text does not describe a joy that he has because of something he earned. That's something to note here because uh, the next piece he says here is uh, your anger, actually that's the first part, your anger is for a moment but your favor is for a lifetime. So what he's saying is God's angry and, he's, and God was angry at him. He's not saying your, his anger towards all of you. He's saying your anger lasts for a moment and I've experienced that myself which means most of the time we don't deserve this grace that we've gotten. We fall, we fail, we turn away, we cause strife with one another, we get in each other's skin, we see each other's flaws and we pick at them. We don't get what we want, we throw fits. We ignore him. We don't want to follow his word, we doubt his word. Even though time and time and time again, he is faithful. Friends, he gets angry at that. He's angry that he's giving you paradise and you're throwing it to the ground and you're picking up some sand and you're licking it. Yeah, ew. That's not, that's not okay. You would get angry if someone kept doing that. Wouldn't you? You wouldn't even have to love them. Just stop doing that. Like, don't do that. The Lord God Almighty is angry because he loves us and we don't like that. We don't think that's enough. And so, although he is angry, what this text is telling us is that when you balance that anger that he has, that is true, and it's justified, but you balance that with his favor, you'll find that the latter, his favor, continues to eternity. And that's what we hope in. And as frankly, if we think critically, it is our own impatience that makes every minute under affliction a decade. Every blessing to us is just a moment, right? But every affliction is just a decade. Like when I'm sick, every second I can watch the the clock tick. Every second I'm like, God, why? What have I done? And I feel sorry for myself. But this is a gift that we don't deserve. And so he gives it to us anyway. So friends, why aren't we thankful? If what I just said is true and it applies to the globe and it's joyful and restorative, why don't we care? We've been given a gift that we don't really want half the time. Well, there's something in us that God has to shape. There's some things he has to get rid of in us in order for you to feel joy. And maybe he's doing that right now. Maybe he's stirring in you a joyless time in everything you've ever thought was satisfying so that you turn to him. Maybe the very flavors of life are gone so that you know the best and most satisfying work has been done for you and is true for you right now. Sometimes the level of thankfulness in receiving a gift is directly correlated to the level of entitlement that you have towards it. Let me say that again. The level of thankfulness that you have in receiving a gift is directly tied to the level of entitlement of you thinking that you should have it, the entitlement you have towards it. And that's really at the heart, if I may, that's really at the heart of why we're so miserable. 
we are full of prosperity. Our culture is full of it, literally full of it. We have a safe place to sit right now. The storm happened yesterday, and I didn't have a worry in the world. I actually thought it was relaxing. I heard the rain outside. We have jobs, endless entertainment. If we're not happy, we can blur that out really, really quickly. The best restaurants, the best food in the planet at our disposal, down the street, supercomputers in our pockets. It's a weird day and age where the level of poverty includes a supercomputer. Just think about that for a minute. In 1980s, Ronald Reagan's best technology was dwarfed by what is in your pocket right now. King of the world, best technology, us, it's in my pocket. We've got plenty, and we can use it to our benefit, we can use it to our pleasure, anything I want, delivered to, to our door within an hour. It's a funny thing, I could order a sandwich right now from Capriati's with my phone. I could whip out my phone right now, DoorDash, deliver it to the stage while I preach, put my phone down. I'm not going to do this. I thought about it. I'm not going to do this. Deliver it to the stage while I preach. I'm the dude with the face mic on. Put it down, and before I'm done, you're going to have an awkward teenager walking up here delivering a sandwich to the stage. All right, we've got it. That was representative of the pleasures that kings had. Food? Grapes. <laughs> I'm hungry. I'll take a sandwich. No tomatoes. 30 minutes, please. I don't even want to leave the stage. Bring me the sandwich. And that is something that robs us of spiritual joy. Because if you can have everything you want, when you get things you need, you don't even notice. John Calvin says it this way, when we're prosperous, we devour God's blessings without remembering who they are from. But when anything sorrowful happens, anything, we complain. Right? You feel this? Blessings abound in America. Blessings abound in our lives. Eh, manna from heaven. Eating the same old food, going to the same old restaurants, hanging up the same old friends. We become numb to blessing. And any pain or discomfort that comes up, we're just crushed by it because we have not been exercising that muscle, right? We've just been blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed, and then as soon as something hard happens, we're just crushed because we're weak. We haven't worked that muscle. And whose fault is it? Whose fault is it when I'm uncomfortable? Everybody else's. <laughs> whose fault is it when you have a bad day? Everybody else's. The guy that cuts you off, the person that said the hard thing you didn't like, the spouse that criticized you that morning. The kid that won't stop asking the same questions over and over and over again. The boss that gave you a mark you didn't like. But friends, your bad day has a lot less to do with the people around you and a lot more to do with how much joy you believe is owed to you. The level of joy that we believe is owed to us is entitlement. And friends, entitlement bleeds blessing. Dry. Too much cake, it's not a good thing. Too much frosting, best, best sugary flavor in the world, makes you sick. Too many years of MVP quarterback, all right? You guys are doing just fine. I went with some friends uh, to Cancun this year. Man, that was, it's great. Uh, but it's all you can eat, all you can have, anything you want. Like what I was describing here, like in this society, only instead of like Capriati's down the street, these people are like, Right there, there's like a, a servant literally waiting. He's like, can I get you something? And even for an entitled American, I was like, whoa. Like, and they're like, no, for real, can I get you something? And it was awesome. I was awesome. I was ecstatic. I was like, well, yeah, I'd like some of that food. Do you have a papaya plant? Right away, sir. And they'd go to the jungle. It seemed like they'd go find a papaya plant. There's some people laughing because we're like, do you have a passion fruit? Do you have a passion fruit? And he goes, I don't think so. 
but I will check and I will do everything until I know the answer. I'm like, man, America, take notes. This is what it means to be served. This is good. By the end of it, though, we never really talked about this. By the end of it, though, we're all full. We're fat and happy. We don't need anything else. And we're eating some of the, some of the best foods you've ever tasted, all you can eat. And it's kind of tasteless. So when you start to trade your expectation for gratitude, though, that's when you start to live a life of joy. When we started, I actually had the mentality to say, okay, I don't deserve this. Even though my entitlement kind of won over, I don't deserve this. And I think we all had the same mentality. Like, this is something we don't deserve, but we get this. And so if you take every thought in every day and every moment where you're disappointed in something other than yourself uh, and you trade that for being grateful and for gratitude, you start to taste joy in your life. It happens. An appreciation for what God's done. And so here's a litmus test for your gratitude. Let's see how well you're working this muscle. What's the highlight, Ben, of the past year and a half? Highlight. We all know what the last year and a half has looked like for the planet. Turbulence. The, the buzzwords, uncertainty. A everything's shaken apart. There's no new normal. And there's this fear that sets in. But let me ask you guys something. What is the highlight of the past year and a half of your life? And if we start talking about that as a church, hey, yeah, what's been difficult? That's good. Embrace what's difficult. But what, what's the highlight been? What's God done? What blessings has he bestowed? A joyful heart will follow. A joyful heart is one that is owed nothing but given everything. And so maybe the year and a half was tough for you. I'm not minimizing that. I'm not minimizing the struggles that you have. I identify with struggles over the past year and a half. There are some personal things that have rocked me to my core in the past three years. But friends, we've been given an eternity. We've been given eternity. Is there anything else you need? Is there anything else that needs to happen for you to feel all right? Is there anything I need? Is there any level of money I need to achieve, a status I need to have for me to feel happy? The answer is probably not. Certainly not. But entitlement and the spirit of entitlement, although uh, maybe David was struggling with that, that wasn't the primary thing in the way. And for some of us, uh, the next thing that David actually addresses is the thing that God is ridding in our hearts right now. Uh, the thing that was actually hindering David's joy and peace uh, was not necessarily his entitlement. It was primarily his arrogance. And this is what verse 6 says. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. Oh, okay. All right. How's that working, David? He's heading in the right direction. He's, like, he's, he's acknowledging at least first that he's a really arrogant person. At least at one time he was. What happened then? And what he's basically saying is, uh, he says, as for me and my set of my prosperity, prosperity is just flourishing, right? He's talking about his kingdom. So he's basically saying, in the flourishing of my kingdom, I looked at my kingdom and I said, I am awesome. In my prosperity, I said, I shall not be moved. I'm awesome. And you're kind of like, oh yeah? Really? Then what happened? He says, by your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was dismayed. You see, as soon as God removed favor, as soon as God removed the blessing, the flavors of life, the joy, the peace, the prosperity, it crushed him. He realizes, and that's a good thing. It was a great thing because then he realizes where his strength really was. And it was the best thing that ever happened because now, get this, he's reflecting on how high he thought he was and how low he's been brought in a praise. 
This is not a psalm of lament. He's talking about how high he thought he was and how catastrophically low he's been brought in a praise. And he felt joy about it. The after effects of him being knocked off his high horse was joy and praise. Because it's been brought to a position where he can actually lay his life down and praise the person who actually brings joy. And so for some of us, the only thing in the way of experiencing true peace and joy is our own arrogant self-image. That's it. We don't need better circumstances. We don't need better mentors. We don't need better communities. We don't need better teachers. We don't need better jobs. We just need less positive self-images of how grand we think we are. So, frankly, we need to be crushed. Some of us just need to be crushed. Calvin says it this way. We're going to say Calvin again. Here we go. It is necessary that we would be violently shaken in order to drive away delusions that stifle our faith and hinder our prayers. Brother or sister, does it feel like you're being violently shaken right now? Does everything feel out of control? Does it feel like all the power you ever had has been gone? It's been zapped. All the control. All the secure relationships you had and all the safety nets you had, is it shredded? Praise the Lord. Because you're about to feel his presence better than you ever could have when you were high and mighty. Praise the Lord for his grace. Because I don't... I don't know when, if you're in a spot right now where you feel like everything's out of control, you might not be at Psalm 30 yet. I don't know when it's going to happen, and I don't know how, but friend, I know that he is going to draw near to you. And in the meantime, we just draw near to each other. And some of us are nudging right now. Uh, we're kind of we're nudging the person next to us, or maybe, uh, maybe God brought somebody to mind in your life, uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Think of that. All right, I can't. Yeah, I can't wait to see God knock that guy down or that lady down. Right? There's kind of this competitive advantage to like, oh, they're down now. Well, let me tell you something. God knocks people off their high horse for His glory, and they're good. So you don't have to. I mean that you don't have to do it by your favor, O oh Lord. Your mountain stands strong and. The Lord hid his face and he was dismayed. The Lord is the one that humbles people, humiliates them for his good and his glory and for the peace of their souls. So you don't have to. So if you see someone, there's somebody in your mind and your heart that's kind of festering with that, first off, look in the mirror because it's usually a competition and you want to have an edge over that person. Second of all, relax. Serious, Relax. You're not God, and you don't have to be. You're not responsible for that person. He gets the glory, which is why he's the one that does it. And so if you see someone, or yourself included, if you see someone who shall never be moved, like David, love them. Support them. Why? Because their castle's coming down. Their castle's coming down. Their hope is about to be crushed. Support them. One day, whether now or whether in eternity, someday we will stand before God on our knees and we will bow. And so we just pray for one another that pride would be ridded specifically in the church, that humility would be brought in. But as we witness people who that's happening to, myself included, uh, we just support and love each other. Yeah, there is a word from the Lord that will probably be brought. But a lot of times in my heart, the harsh word that I've got for somebody comes from my own discontentment for what they're doing for me, uh, from my own posture of wanting to be the best guy ever. And so we know love, that loving in brothers and sisters, we don't enjoy that process. We don't, we don't revel in that. We revel in the result 
We do find joy in knowing that God is going to shape us in times of weakness by ridding us of ourselves and our frail self-confidence. We actually get to feel joy. So we actually get to feel joy. Right? That's why he breaks us down. Not so that we'd be humiliated and so y'all would laugh, but so we could actually feel peace and joy. And this hurts. Because friends, this is happening to me. My mountain is coming down. Most of my life has been one of self-sufficiency. Grow up to get out. You start flipping eggs at age 12, right? Start doing this yourself, get a job. Grow up to get out. And I got a lot of that, and I soaked it up, and I got out. And after some wanderlusting around the nation, you know, traveling around and doing my own thing, and, you know, probably spreading my wings, I got plugged in here. God saw fit to plant me here six miles from my hometown. Something I never thought would be true. Under a leader who was strong enough to call me out on my stuff. And I'm eternally grateful for that. I'm eternally grateful that I'm not wandering around the country right now eating groceries from a dumpster. Whatever the free thing to do was at the time. I'm thankful for that. God saw fit to plant me right here. Uh, He put leaders and mentors and you all around me to shape me, to cause me to plant deep, to plant roots. And so, frankly, that was a good life. Life's good, right? I got to Sioux Falls, I start a business, get some local attention. I get to use my gifts in the local church. I get all of you. That's actually a big deal. You guys are some of the best friends, family, mentors that I've ever experienced. I love it. I love you guys. So life's great. All right, I come in. Business is cooking. Things are great. I got friends and family. And I had the gall to look up at 26 years old. And I actually felt, I think I have it. I think I'm there. I think this is it. God, I don't think you could give me any more. It's gratitude, right? It's it's a good thing. But I knew in my heart that that wasn't necessarily reflective of how life actually was. That isn't isn't the life that I'm hearing people talk about. The life that people talk about involves suffering and pain. When I read the Bible, there's suffering and there's pain. And I stand at 26 and I've never felt any of it. Not in any really deep, meaningful way that I've ever had to deal with. And so I couldn't relate. I never had to go there. In 2019, the Lord hid his face. In 2019, I started getting calls from my dad. Mom's been in a state of pure agony. She's wrestled with migraines ever since she was a kid. Um, We've tried everything. We tried drugs, tried salts, tried infusions, essential oils, right? Anything that you're probably being sold right now, okay, we tried it. Um, Nothing worked. And so it just happened over years and years and years, and I just, I'm like, okay, luckily I'm an adult now, and we don't got to deal with that. Um, But it's getting worse. My dad's calling me in 2019. He says, it's getting to the point where she's becoming recluse. She's shutting herself up in the room. She shuts the door. She shuts the blinds. Uh, she stopped eating. Uh, she's not eating anymore. She stopped engaging with people. Uh, she won't talk to me, he says. I go there, try to engage her. No. She's done. She's done trying. She's fought this battle for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. Over time, wears you down. She's done. Just giving up. And so the feeling started to set in that my mom was probably going to die. And you know it's a point of desperation when that actually would be a blessing for her. And so we cried out to God for mercy. We said, God, please have mercy. Because I'm looking at her and she's in 
agonizing pain. And at some point, God, please, if it's in your will, just take her. Just take her home. Just make it stop. And then one day, uh, the weirdest thing happened. Uh, All of a sudden, she was better. All of a sudden, she popped out of bed and she's like, hey, Bill, I'm going for a walk. And he's like static and he's, he's shocked. He's amazed. He said, okay, put your shoes on. Let's go. And they go for a walk. And he says, finally, my God, things are better. Andy, Nicole, family, friends, she's going for walks. But over time, something wasn't right because she went for a walk. And he'd take her for a walk and she'd come back inside and she'd look at him and she'd go, Bill, let's go for a walk. Just went for a walk. I'm going for a walk. So she goes for another walk. And you start to realize something's very wrong. Something's not clicking correctly. So for the next few weeks, her behavior had become more and more erratic. She'd walk for 10 seconds, she'd watch something for 10 seconds, she'd say the same things over and over and over and over again. My dad, being the loving, loving husband that he is, <laughs> He's great. Uh, He spent every hour that he had researching the problem, (laughs) trying to figure it out. He's an engineer. So he's trying to figure out what the solution is. And he's trying different things. He's trying different things. He's trying all the the things you could think of. He's trying. I said, she just needs more sodium. Uh, She just needs more this, more this. I think I got it this time. Uh, He's good at that. But after months of trying, Nothing worked. So we finally gave up and we checked her into behavioral health down the street. My mom was diagnosed with frontotemporal dementia, an early onset form of dementia that eats away at the logical part of the brain. It causes erratic behavior, looped speech, sometimes erratic speech, vulgar speech, and thoughts that just keep repeating over and over again. It commonly happens in someone's late 50s to early 60s. It's increasingly common in American, American people. And it's terminal. And so on one hand, uh, we receive that diagnosis with praise and joy because we're relieved that we finally have answers. On the other hand, we're heartbroken at the reality that we're probably going to lose mom. And this is going to take her. And so we try to spend as much time with her as possible. The doctor says, take lots of pictures, take lots of videos, um, because sometimes her behavior could be somewhat erratic in the stages. Uh, they don't last forever. Some stages will last maybe a couple months. Some will last a, lot of, a number of years. Uh, but we don't know, so just spend a lot of time with her as much as you can. So, uh, so we do that, and um, we, we read up on FTD. We read up on the disease. Uh, you watch videos online, it gets pretty graphic, guys. Some, some swear. Some people get looped that they sw- they're swearing and they're vulgar. Uh, their spouses can't bring them into public. Uh, some hit things violently. Uh, some scream profanities. And you just don't know what's going to happen. My mom sings. My mom is living proof of Psalm 30. God knew exactly what he was doing for 50 years. We couldn't see it. God knew exactly where he wanted her to be. 
He took a woman who only knew pain. And now all she knows is joy. He took a woman who only knew suffering. And he knew that there was peace coming. And now she's the biggest blessing on the planet. There's nothing wrong with her. I need help. (laughs) She's doing great. Mom's doing great. And so we take Psalm 30. I take Psalm 30. And I understand it's so real because I'm watching it before my very eyes. And so this is Psalm 30. Oh Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. Oh Lord, You have brought my soul up from Sheol. You have restored my life from among those who go down to the pit. So sing praises, O you saints. Sing praises. Give thanks for his holy name. As for me, I said in my prosperity, silly, I shall never be moved. But by your favor, O Lord, you have made my mountain strong. You hid your face, and I was dismayed. To you, Lord, we cried. We cried, hear me, O Lord, have mercy. And he turned my mourning into dancing, and he loosed my sackcloth, and he's clothed us and me, and he's clothed mom with gladness. What a great great God we serve indeed. Would you pray with me? God, may our praises be stronger because of suffering. May the troubles of this world not own us, but Lord, may they teach us. May you speak to us in ways that we don't even understand. Turn us upward towards you. Give us invincible patience for things that are painful. Break us down for your name. Build us up for your glory. Lord, restore us to life. Let joy abound. Let our hearts not be infatuated with anything less than you. Give us peace in trying times. Amen.